position. Affirmative. Negative. I am the milkman. My milk is delicious. Roger that. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the Best Linux Games Podcast. Go, go, go! The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam, brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux, and beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of the egalitarian Linux-like platform, Steam, an open marketplace in which everyone, total meritocracy, everyone, regardless of size, amount of money, regardless of amount of developers, and prospective sales, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday, and that means it's time for one thing. It's time for the podcast where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know. Uh, join us on Steam and friend me on Steam. My name is Scooky Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news, we have the latest titles that we are interested in, of course, features, you know, like kind of in depth looks or reviews, and then we have, of course, everyone's favorite. The deals! Uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of... It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the next game on, bitches! Hello, and welcome to episode number 243 of the Best Linux Games Podcast, being recorded for you live on this uh, Friday, the 21st of June at 18.53 Pacific Coast Time, left coast, coast the most, 16.53 Pacific Coast Time. That would make it, of course, for our sequel, friends, 2019.06.21 at... Uh, 1853. Uh, yes, crack engineer Ivor Molina over there in the booth. Hang on. Holding up the whiskey sign. He's holding up the whiskey sign. Hang on. Almost there. Almost there. Sounds like my old man taking a leak. Um... That was a quote from fucking... Oh, Jesus. Uh, the Goonies, actually. Yes. Oh, Crack Engineer, Ivor Molina, you're fired. Cheers, everyone. Sade. Goodbye, Ivor. Mm, drink, drink, drink. Oh. Good. Mm. So, we have a lot of shit to cover for you this week. Let's get straight to our top stories. 
First of all, uh, we have a big feature plan for you. Um, we have a big feature plan for you all about the massive bloodstain ritual of the night, our first impressions. But before we get to that, we have some other shit that we have to cover. First of all, be sure to tune in to next week's episode. First of all, stick with us this week's episode. But uh, next week's episode, we will be featuring a um, an interview with uh, Jeff Nielsen, uh, the guy behind uh, Novadrift and Chimeric uh, Software uh, on the eve of their release of their next major release. I don't know what they're calling it yet. But uh, it will introduce... Uh, I think seven new game modes to the utterly awesome Nova Drift, which we've talked about on the show before. But anyway, we have a. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be super exciting. One of the coolest things about Nova Drift is that it's been a community based effort this entire time. And one of the coolest things about Nova Drift as a project right now is being able to jump on their Discord as I did while stoned and drunk and was like after midnight, you know, Pacific Coast time, left coast, coast the most. And uh, I didn't expect to end up talking directly to um, the guy, the main guy himself. But And he was super nice. He's agreed to do it. Um, and I'm excited to talk to him. So we'll cover, you know, the normal stuff. You know, typical Best Links Games uh, podcast interview. You know, development process, uh, game, you know, what, what was the uh, impetus for the game? Uh, what games have you tried to emulate? What are the goals going forward? How difficult uh, has the entire process been? Like, what were the darkest moments? You know, all the same typical developer shit. But I also want to focus very much on uh, the community aspect. And the uh, it's ironic because today in Discord, uh, Sol, well, last this morning in Discord, um, when I was asleep, uh, Solray, uh, I, I think it's a perfect... Anyway, he went on a rant about... Well, it wasn't a rant. It was just... He started, you know... How he doesn't like how once games leave uh, early access, how they continue to evolve. But that is actually kind of the point of Steam's adoption of Linux and blah, blah, blah. We'll talk all about this shit and more. Um, very, very glad that... Uh, and hopefully it'll come off... Um, that uh, Mr. Nielsen has uh, consented to join our lunatic asylum for, you know, 20 minutes, thereabouts. <coughs> okay, so, now our other main story this week is about something that happened to, I almost said us, because that's how I write about the podcast, using, like, the royal we or whatever, but uh, this happened to me earlier this week. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I hope not. Um, but I, it's important because it's the first time that anything like this has happened to me. Um, which is unsurprising. It's only been, like, what, two years that we've been on Twitch. But anyway, um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because you don't want to feed the trolls or whatever. But, that being said, inside of the show, blog, uh, the show blurb for this week's episode, there's a link to the origin not oranges, but the orange, the origin of, uh, not oranges, origins. Wow. Of, uh, how this all started, and it's complete video of everything that happened as it happened. 
And it's the highlights in the show blurb. It's us on Twitch. So, long and short of it is this. So, I was streaming more now on Twitch uh, somewhere somewhere earlier this week. I can't sometime earlier this week. I can't remember when. And this guy, um, whose name I can't remember, but he's in the video. You'll find him. Jumps on and says something. Jumps into the the Twitch chat and says something like, uh, "Wow, your um, your video watermark looks like shit." And I'm like, "Oh, wow, thank you for that. You know, you can go fuck yourself." And he's like, "Don't make me come in there and fucking beat your ass." And I was like, uh, "Go die in a fire. Go fuck yourself. Fuck you. And also fuck you. Remember, don't forget to leave the room before you go fuck yourself really hard." Because I was, you know, killing people and stuff. And the next couple of games, which are all frontline, I started getting team killed all the time. I think it was like just the next one game. And then I realized that this guy and all of his friends had joined my team and were now team killing me constantly the, you know, therefore ruining the game it got worse so I'm like okay fine fuck you you know if you want to fight then I will actually fight you because I was better than them which was hilarious and so I uh, if they're going to stalk me because okay so here's what they had done they you know from Twitch they found you know my Steam username they followed me, which I didn't think was possible because I was blowing through servers that night because uh, I could not get a good connection. But they followed me to the server that I was on without having friended me. Um, and then they joined my team and started team killing me, which is very, very shitty. I mean, extraordinarily shitty. When four guys on your team are team killing you intentionally it ruins the game completely and especially because every time you kill one of them it's a team kill and they don't give a fuck um so I was like alright fine if they're gonna do this then let's fight let's see how good they are and uh in frontline everyone wears the color of their team so it's either red or blue uh, your uh, um, wardrobe choices and colorations don't matter. So I was like, okay, fine. If you guys are going to do this, you know, this is what my thought process was. If you guys are going to do this, and let's go do fucking deathmatch, and we'll we'll duel. I'll duel you all. I will fight you all. But no, they weren't interested in that either, and they were dressed like KKK members, all of them. And at this point, there were a lot of them. There were like, there were, if, it's hard to tell how many there were, uh, before when we were in frontline, but it was somewhere between three and four, maybe more. But now there were definitely upwards of three who were hunting me and breaking up duels anywhere I was, was what they, they were focused on. So this is still, you know, harassment, but it's still kind of fun until they spoofed my account somehow and in that same deathmatch began, oh and I killed the fuck out of them, like it took three of them to kill one of me and I would take at least one of them every time, there's video of it 
But then they spoofed my account somehow and managed to, in the in-game chat, uh, make me spam the in-game chat, you know, what looked like me, but was not me, with uh, hateful racial, uh, racist invectives and stuff. More disturbingly, they also invaded our Steam user group, uh, which was the impetus for creating this podcast, which I seriously thought about dismantling because these guys seem so focused, and I am just not into it. But that freaked me out. That's the end of the videos where they start uh, spoofing me. But they invaded the Steam group, and so they started setting up Steam chats with shifting names. All of them... uh, uh, spoonerisms of racial slurs like I Nang Higgers, like as in I hang, yeah. Um, they were very unattractive, very unpleasant, and they lured a lot of people from our Steam group. And I didn't know this until someone mentioned it to me. Um, they lured people into our Steam group and may or may not have been spoofing me in the Steam group. So, to that end, um, this is not something that you want to fuck around with, because, uh, by the way, like, I've tried to get uh, two, the two guys whose names I know as Steam IDs banned, or, uh, you know, something to get Steam to do it, but Steam's attitude is go fuck yourself, and god damn it. Go away. There we go. Um, their attitude is basically go fuck yourself, call law enforcement. Which is really helpful because this is a concerted effort of as many as five people to really fuck with me in a a, uh, profound way. And they are fucking with our listeners, which is unacceptable, which is why last night I was considering shutting down the podcast indefinitely. Um, But we shall see if they return or not, and what Steam does. But in the meantime, here's my request to you. If you are a member of the Steam group, or if you hang out on the Discord channel, please, please be warned. If in our Steam group's chat or in the Discord, you see someone saying racist shit, even if it's me, or shit that's like inappropriate and just rude or mean, even if it's me, Skooky Sprite, Please ping me. You know, give me, shoot me a message, either via Steam Chat uh, directly or via um, Discord directly, our Discord channel, or via, um, it, it, you know, if you like, tw- if you like Twitter, hit me up on Twitter via the DM at Vegas Rider V E G A S W R I T E R, and let me know so that I can fucking get their names, screen cap them, and then ban them, have them banned. Um, please be sure to have their name like copy their name because they change their names fairly constantly and I can't keep up with it um and so yeah ping me with that stuff uh if you see it happening and be wary it might look like me um so there's that now by request because as this happened Masomenos um, stupid end user who just blew up the fucking chat all goddamn afternoon in Discord with a fucking political argument about Brexit, which, yeah, we now have an off-topic Discord channel, and you and Bully Lockers need to take that shit over there, because it was like 80 messages 
and it completely, I mean, I use the Discord channel, and I am at liberty. Like, I pay for the Discord channel, whatever, it's like a negligible fee, but, like, I mean, it's my Discord channel. I will ban you. So, there's an off-topic thread and an off-topic voice chat if you want to avail yourselves of those uh, functionalities. But anyway, Stupid End User was, I think, watching some of this at the time as it happened in real time in Mordow. And, uh, or maybe not in real time, but, uh, bottom line was this, I ended up, uh, maybe it was afterwards, because I, I ended up switching games after I killed that stream, um, and then I was streaming again, and I was stoned at that point, and I was talking to Stupid End User, and I mentioned that the last time that something like this had happened, it got very serious very fast, and it's never happened to me because of someone who found me through Twitch, because I didn't have Twitch back in the day, um, or, you know, whatever, like, we've had trolls, like, on my servers and stuff, we've had, like, not just trolls, we've had massive malicious attacks on my servers that all started from shit like this, uh, and that's been years, but the worst thing that ever happened that made me, yeah, animated to stupid end user that I have literal PTSD from seven days to die PvP, which I spent about four months playing. Three of them on one server, one of them on another. And that's in reverse order. So I started on one server and then found another server. And he demanded to know how Seven Days to Die PvP gave me PTSD. So by request, before we get to our blood bloodstained feature, our first impressions about the bloodstained uh, ritual of the night, um, I'm going to tell, again, I think this is the second time I've told this story on this show, but it is worth retelling because it does highlight what actual harassment means. And it was funny because we didn't have these problems when I was running IHC um, because I was like basically always there and I would intervene and I didn't even the term like being harassed on the interwebs really hadn't come into existence as like actually a thing like actually like a you know a thing like a violation of terms of service but anyway so in 7 Days to Die um, I'd probably spent uh, oh god a number of months playing and I I, I think I spent my first fucking hundred and fifty to three hundred hours playing in single player without mods and then I jumped into the world of PvP which, now before I tell you the story, the specific episode that really gave me, um, that really introduced me to the concept of what it means to be harassed, and not just griefed, but harassed. Um, before we get to that part of the story, let's get to the real nut of the PTSD problem that I have with Seven Days to Die, which I would gladly still be playing if my last favorite server hadn't shut down. Um, and if it weren't so expensive to run a server via Vulture, which I've done, um, but it's just expensive to keep that spun up at all times. And if you don't have it spun up at all times, then your user base is going to leave you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I also did heavy uh, custom scripting and uh, rewriting of mods for that server, but that's a different story. So I spent like five months on, or no, I spent three months on a 
second Seven Days to Die PvP server. Now, this server was much better and I was not harassed at all, but I was traumatized by the previous experience, which I will not discuss yet. The thing about Seven Days to Die PvP on a server is that it you will get burned as I will explain in the story that I'm about to tell you but hopefully not harassed in the way in the story I'm about to tell you but the thing is all PvP servers for 7 Days to Die are the same it is an exercise in abject paranoia because if anyone finds out where you live then they know where you live then they will raid you constantly and they will raid you in greater numbers And so, to that end, you have to come up with every possible countermeasure while operating in stealth, without being detected, unable to avail yourself of any resources or trading that might otherwise, that, you know, generally otherwise is the hallmark of playing Seven Days to Die on a server. It is impossible to make friends that you do not bring in with you. And even them, you cannot trust. Trust no one um, let me tell you a brief story I mean seriously and this went on for three months and it is constant paranoia PvP in 7 Days to Die is abject constant fucking insane paranoia and after you spend a month and experience like the fucking three weeks that I did where you're being harassed constantly after people know where you live and you have no resources and you can't really go anywhere and they just kill you and take your stuff constantly um you get very sensitive to this and everyone on the server that I played on was incredibly sensitive which is why one of the funniest things about the th- this the the 3 months on my second server was that you could chat in global chat on that server, it was not range-based and no one would know where you are so I would talk to people constantly, mainly I wrote basically a novel in chat over those three months um, that described like in CB lingo style like speaking to the uh, great oblivion of whoever might be out there uh, focusing on three central topics none of which geography was at all mentioned ever ever and there's no private messaging on that server but I began to just talk to the world and I talked to people too but I talked to the world out there about putrid girl, my love for putrid girl, how she always comes back, how if anyone fucks with putrid girl uh, she'll always come back to me she loves me and then eventually that entire narrative over the weeks, the days, the hours, the hundreds of hours, and the weeks, and then the months, uh, began to spiral into um, necessary uh, exigencies uh, inherent to uh, survival situations, meaning privation, exposure, lack of resources, and especially lack of food. To that end, um, cryptically over well, at least a month, I began unraveling slowly and hilariously, in my opinion, um, what happened to my family after the zombie plague started and how difficult it was to tell just when exactly a sick or ill family member had finally turned 
and could then be butchered and eaten. Um, which, I mean, there were like, you know, 30 players on this server at all times, and they gradually began to get the fucking creeps out of me, which was awesome. Anyway, so my traumatizing experience, and really the big PTSD that I have from Seven Days to Die is total paranoia from multiplayer games, because in Seven Days to Die, if one person finds you, you're fucked. So to that end, I built an underground fortress with a three kilometer mile long tunnel, or no, it wasn't three kilometers, it was a it was a kilometer and a half long escape tunnel underneath three separate secret passageways and an underground maze. All this is underground with a giant central room that is the first room you get to after you get through the shooting gallery, which are my secure doors where I can see everything that you do and you cannot see anything that I do so I can shoot you with arrows or with guns or whatever. If you were to discover the hatch that I bury every time I leave at the top of the hill. If you get spotted when you leave, then you're as good as fucked. So inside of my, uh, inside of my fortress, the first room after you get through the kill room, uh, underground, which is, uh, uh, 20, 20, uh, units before, uh, bedrock, which is important because you need to put all your furnaces and stuff at the very bottom at bedrock, and then they don't uh, aggro the zombies. Um, first room, outside of the kill room, is completely pitch black, and it is huge, and I hollowed it out myself with my hands, and then eventually with tools. Um, and built into the wall is a... Okay, so if the human skull is like, what? A foot? Half? Eight? 10 inches, something like that. We'll say it's a foot, okay? We'll just use that as like, blah. This thing was... eighteen meters tall. So, 36 feet. So, roughly like four stories tall. Built into the wall, the only light is from the giant three-dimensional Kali Moss skull that I built into the wall, carved out of the rock with these two barrels burning in its eyes and a furnace burning in its open mouth and a tongue bridge that you walk across and if you don't know the jump sequences for the tongue bridge you end up in the I can't remember there was some sort of death trap I had down there I want to say there was a death trap maybe I just dug a really deep pit and the bottom line and then there were anti-rooms off the side off both the right and left side facing the skull just like the Temple of Doom now the reason for this was and that was the first thing I built and I did it for a very good reason I knew that eventually I would need more space because if I was ever discovered you know hence the kill room down the ladder you know first you have to find the hatch which is buried you have to know exactly where the hatch is you unbury the hatch, you jump down the hatch you, if you jump down the hatch you will die um, cause uh, hay didn't work back then you had to climb down the fucking ladder and close the hatch, but now the hatch is exposed and there's no way that I, I could cover up the hatch after you know getting in the hatch, if I remember correctly then you go through the kill room which does not look like a kill room because if it looked like a kill room then everyone would know oh god we've just been fucked and we're gonna die um which I designed as an airlock with two separate exterior facing doors uh, reinforced steel to, in the event that I was discovered, coming or going see this is a level of paranoia that you, you have to get 
to survive in PvP in Seven Days to Die. It's not the zombies you have to worry about, it's the other humans. Um, and I put it on the the entrance is at the top of the least likely hill, kind of close to a lake, but it's still a pain in the ass to get to the lake, and that's the other thing, if you want to go hunting for people in PvP, Seven Days to Die on a server, you look for water. You look for water, you look for cities, then you kind of triangulate between the two, then you look for cover, then you look for structures, then you look for exactly where you would not ever be expected to look, and that is exactly where they where everyone always builds if they're smart, where they build their bases, and generally unless they have a crew, they build them underground so I built this kill room that you had to connect to, so these two giant steel reinforced doors in the off chance that I was discovered coming or going and they tried to take over the base while I was gone or if they chased me into the base the reason for these super reinforced doors was to kill them and to inspire enough fear in them so that maybe when they respawned I would have reduced their number and or enthusiasm and maybe geographically from a distance perspective made it problematic enough because they're, you know, the maps are huge and they're randomly generated um, to make it problematic enough for them to not want to travel the 30 minutes by foot to return to continue the pillaging of my base as they invite all their friends. Now, what am I doing during this interval of like maybe somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes? I would be either finishing or, because I had two emergency escape routes but eventually I had a grand one that was over a kilometer and a half long that ran underneath the lake the entire distance of the lake and came out on the opposite end of the lake shore with another hatch and there's a maze in between and the reason for all of this complexity is so that I could if push came to shove and I had to liquidate everything I had to like you know actually move all of these guys would be stuck trying to break all of this reinforced steel at the front and then so th- then they would get to the Kalima room on the other side and they would be amazed and they would be like oh wow we found all the, 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 the secret room with all of his fucking stuff and so I had decoys of everything upstairs if you jumped down and didn't go right or left. Although right and left, there was lots of stuff there that was good. And there were, I put up an entire rows of chests that had all sorts of shit in them. So that they would be so taken with looting them that I would be able to, underneath them, underneath three fucking layers of solid steel, is where my actual base is. And that solid steel is three layers on the ceiling, three layers on all the walls, three layers, uh, uh, six layers on the exterior facing wall and there's a secret entrance to it that you would never find beneath that another 15 layers down through another secret entrance is where all my shit really was that's where all my forges were that's where my back cave was it was on bedrock and it was fucking enormous it was the second biggest thing I've 
that I ever ended up doing in uh, Seven Days to Die, and this is coming from a guy who, when I left that server, I spent basically another 800 hours, uh, something like that, uh, on my favorite player versus environment server, which they, they ruined, and so I left that server. But anyway, so in the secret, in the second secret room, there is another secret door. This one is in the floor, and it is to a hatch. And you have to know exactly where it is. You have to break it. And so you, this meant that I had all of these mitigating layers between if someone wanted to take all my shit and then brought in a raiding party, and then that raiding party brought in a raiding party, and so there's 20 people. You cannot fit 20 people in the kill room, by the way. Like, they would have to be stacked up outside. They would start excavating the top of the hill, is what I imagine they would do, And because I've seen it done before. And they would look for a weakness that would let them inside. Well, so I put up some minor uh, layer, minor layers of reinforced stuff, like concrete and shit, around the central Kalima thing, and then I covered it with dirt, because sometimes when people break something and they don't know that, you know, they find, ah, fine, we've been digging for forever, and now we find a concrete block that's underneath this dirt, and then we break the concrete block, and it leads us to more dirt. Sometimes that more dirt is, just that one layer of more dirt is enough to dissuade them from continuing further, and they'll keep digging downwards, which is what I wanted them to do. So anyway, the problem is, once you have a lot of shit, like three months worth of shit, you have to be able to move all that stuff by yourself without relying on anyone at any moment's notice to your backup base. So this tunnel that went underneath the lake um, through the maze and then went under, underneath the lake, the maze is underneath the lake, and then comes out at a hatch that is beyond the draw distance of any server that I've ever been on for seven days to die. Um, mm. And considering that inventory management and weight limits at this point would become crucial, um, I, I set up this base, which took me a month to build over a month, it took me like a month and a half maybe two months, it was it was finished by the time the, the server shut down um, the idea was to be able to get ten loads out of, ten loads of shit, out of my main base to another base, which I built very far away I mean we're talking like a 20 minute run 20 minutes running it, t- it takes about 10 minutes to get back into the base, through the maze, through all the doors, and there are mazes of doors. That's what I mean by a maze. It's not just like a simple tunnel. All the doors are locked. You have to close and open every door behind you. And it is a maze. And there are places that, like, dead end to chess with some, like, stuff that, you know, normal looters would regard as, like, uber bullshit. Uh, but there's one steel door in the middle, so it takes ten. So it takes thirty minutes to do one trip. Well, fifty minutes to do one trip. I wanted ten trips, so I built that fort to be that that underground base to be that fucking secure. Never had to really test it. But here's how paranoid PvP in Seven Days to Die makes you once you get good at it. One day. 
literally a new player spawned maybe uh, 100 meters, 150 meters away from where my base was. And he was brand new. So now I had to face the challenge. Do I kill this guy? Do I threaten him? Which is a bad move because threatening them means that you have something to hide. How do I help this guy to not ever return here? Because he's too close. He's like right up the hill in the valley between my base, the lake, and this water tower. So it was literally treasure of Sierra Madre shit. And so I helped him out with all this stuff. And I kept leaving it further and further. And I kept giving him the coordinates, you know, blah. And I but I made sure that he did not understand that I was sending him away. And I filled his head with thoughts of terrible zombies and how um, the lake was like a big point of contention, but how there are two towns, you know, from here. I can't remember which direction they are there, and I'm new myself. Here's an axe, here's some food, um, blah. And then I had to wait for him to leave before I could go back home. And that went on for a week. And that was a nice guy. So, my story, uh, my original story of being harassed in Seven Days to Die, my first server, my first time on a PvP server in Seven Days to Die, I can't remember the name of the server, it was a terrible server, and it had a terrible fucking administrator. The system men was terrible, um, and the player base was even worse. I remember to this day, this is like three years ago now, I remember to this day the name of the guy I built, this was my last thing that I ever built in PvP above ground. I built a normal shack above ground. Hidden, I thought. I thought it was well hidden. because And this map was enormous. It took 45 minutes to get anywhere from where this shack was. On foot. Someone found it. As will happen anytime you build above ground. And my shack had everything in it. And I was not used to this happening. This guy named Caleb found my shack. And he began killing me constantly, taking all my stuff constantly in my home where all my stuff is and taking my home. So it was one-on-one. This went on for two weeks. Until finally... And this is all he would do. He would log in and I'd be like, fuck, I have to get home. Meaning that sometimes home is an hour and a half run away. I have to get home because I know that he's going to be right there. And he always was right there. And he was always stealing everything and breaking everything. And I would have to kill him. And then he would kill me. He would take my gun he would take my weapons, take all my armor, then he would be there, and then, and this went on and on and on and on and on. We're talking three times a day, every day, for weeks. And that was how I learned my lesson, because eventually it got so bad, he wasn't on for like maybe five days. And I built up a what I regard as a huge fortune and had fully recovered, and had taken steps to really secure my base in ways that, you know, blah... I had a lot of stuff to lose at that point. 
And again, he did the same thing using my own equipment. Um, took over my base and was unstoppable at this point because all my resources were at my base. I did not have a backup base because I didn't have enough resources to fucking build a backup base. I was now starving and naked and had been killed seven times in that session as he began to load up all of my ingots, all of my stuff, all everything that I had crafted, everything I had built. And I screamed in chat, someone help me, please, for the love of God, hear my coordinates. This guy has been killing me constantly, harassing me endlessly for over three weeks now. I am low-level player. I need someone to please, for the love of God, help me. I will give you everything that he is taking. At least a hundred um, iron ingots or whatever. Blah. And everyone just laughed. And that is what... that And that's as to be expected in PvP, but it was a harsh lesson. However, what this guy was doing was not PvP. Like, if, if I had been running the server, and trust me, in servers that I've run subsequently to this experience... I will put a stop to this. Like, seriously. Because it's it's ridiculous, and it is so stressful and so bad for the entire player base. Um, and it's bad for your reputation as a server owner. But anyway. So, from there, I went to a new server. Because my life there had ended. Because it had all been taken by Caleb. Every time I see the name Caleb, it's funny because I, I have relatives named Caleb and I, I don't talk to them anymore. But uh, every time I see the name Caleb pop up on my Steam friends list or anywhere, I just get like a jolt of like, oh fuck, here we go again. And so it was from that background that I went to my to my next server which was much better, uh, much more brutal though, and much better maintained with uh, lots of... Um, great custom scripts and stuff, but then that server shut down um, after about eh, something like three and a half months. The guy just pulled the plug on it, which sucked. So I, I only have a couple of pictures of the Kali Ma face. And so that's how I got PTSD, and I still, I'm every day. I, you know, people have tried to kill me in real life, like people have made a concerted effort to really fucking kill me in real life. Five guys have tried to kill me in real life after plotting it in real life. And uh, I know what that feels like to be helpless in your home as five guys try to kill you. Um, that fucked me up for a while, but nothing fucked me up like the months of PvP I played in Seven Days to Die. Because I knew that any day, any moment, any mistake, any miscalculation, any accident of chance or synchronistic occurrence could put me right back in that same position with someone else like Caleb, only not just someone else, they built castles on this server, like I I did work for um, one of the other player, one of the, one of the main factions, uh, digging a moat that took me six hours to dig out one side of using a uh, fucking power auger with infinite fuel, they fed me and gave me fuel and then they gave me a reward took me six hours to dig out that moat, went all the way to bedrock it was unbelievable and they had like, you know, fucking ten guys in that team um they never knew where I lived but I knew where they lived 
So, like, it could be so much worse this time. And that fear is always with you. You're always absolutely terrified of physically running into another player. That server also had a, uh, eventually had a group community cage for um, handling uh, the seventh days, um, where it was forbidden to touch or hurt any other player uh, in that area. But getting to there and getting out of there was tricky because you had to make sure that you weren't followed and you had to make sure that you weren't followed especially along the um, the tree line uh, along the, the spine of the mountain that ran kind of from my base more or less to that, that cage which is in the center of a town so that's how that happened Anyway, and then and the, the segue there was that was the last time that I experienced something this pernicious, and I've seen it get so out of control because once they smell blood, it just does not end. And so I'm waiting for them to return, and I'm fully prepared to stop the podcast forever and uh, etc. You know, block because I'm too fucking old for this shit. So. I'm not, although right now I have no plans to do that uh, because they don't seem to have reappeared, but who knows after this or after they, you know, infiltrate the Discord channel or whatever, they know all these addresses. They know how to blah. And yeah, don't friend them. Do not, you know, etc. If you get strange friend requests, even, please send them to me. Um, I banned two of them and I've reported one of them to Steam, uh, but like I said, their attitude is go fuck yourself. So Ivor, based him with our feature, Fired Ivor, that is, that concludes that entire portion of the show. So based him with the feature, Ivor. Who do you think? Oh my god, it's Malivian's Never gonna let you down. I can read your mind. This week's feature. I can't read you. I can't read you. I can read your mind. Take it, Scooky. So, our feature this week is the enormously anticipated Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. And these are our first impressions. This is not a review. Now, before we go any further, I have to tell you that on my system, because I think I fucked something up, and I'm pretty sure. I, I can't I can't tell you exactly what I fucked up or how I fucked it up or exactly when I fucked it up because I was very stoned when it happened. Um, but somehow I broke the install. I'm not sure if my experience is typical of Proton users, but this is important to get out of the way first before you go and rush out and buy Bloodstained Ritual tonight. Here's what I have to do to make sure, and this only works most of the time, to play the game and have it remember my saves so here's the deal I'm going to outline the routine that I have to do every time and if this sounds like fun to you then you know then it's worth it, personally I think it's worth it and I also should say that this would normally under normal circumstances this would be a review because I've logged 17 hours in the game and 3 of those unlogged hours were of spent trying to get the game to fucking save my games meaning just constant iterations of this, but here's the process that I have that works for me. I haven't seen, last time I searched was two days ago, I haven't seen anyone else with this problem, because I think I fucked up some aspect of of mono. 
um, for the install because I, I tried to install something else and then it was asked me if I wanted to install Lumana. I'm like, yeah, sure, do it. But it fucked up. I can't remember. I just can't remember, but this is where I am now with Bloodstained, which is a fantastic game. We'll talk more about it in a moment. Here's the, here's the, here's the, here are the steps. First, you start the, you install the game. You start the game. You change the screen type to borderless window um, before exiting, but you play the game, you save the game, and you exit the game. Then you watch on tenderhooks in your library the listing for Bloodstained. You watch to make sure that it completes syncing. Now this might also be related to um, a bug that uh, Blaster PR uh, mentioned to me that he was experiencing, I've been having similar problems, uh, Steam network connections have gone all fucking weird since the 17th for Blaster PR, he said that he rolled back to a kernel prior to September I think it was, oh shit, I wrote it down um, September 18th I think, or September 17th you have to have a kernel older than that in order for it not to introduce the Steam regression, Steam network regression, depends on your distro. Although he said that uh, the 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 bug report for it said all distros, and after he added his bug report, um, an admin changed that bug report to all Steam network connections are fucked unless you're if you're using a Linux kernel newer than I think it was the 18th of this month, 17th or 18th. So that plays into it too. So. You have to wait for the sync to finish. You have to wait for it to sync your local files to your Steam Cloud. Blah. And if you don't have Steam Cloud, then you're fucked. So, and I imagine you do have Steam Cloud. It'd be insane if you didn't, because it kind of defies the point of having Steam if you don't have Steam Cloud, which is free. That means it syncs your your saves and your configuration files and your progress to, you know, the Steam servers or whatever. Because it's a negligible amount of, you know, blah. It takes, like, maybe upwards of 30 seconds I've seen it last like almost a minute before that sync completes and it it it'll like stall at like 29% or 40% or whatever do not shut down the steam client do not kill the process do not fuck with it until it is done syncing because that is your save so you wait for the sync to finish then you try to run the game again immediately without you know rebooting or doing anything without closing steam this will, for me, if you're having this problem, this is how I deal with it. For me, that results in the game hanging, but saying that it is running in the Steam client. Why there is no fucking kill button inside the Steam client is beyond me, because like ostensibly they partnered with Linux to make Steam machines, so they want to make SteamOS based off of Debian. Why is there no built-in kill button inside of the Steam client, I do not understand this, and it makes no sense. But I do know how to kill shit, you know, blah, and it's simple, because now you have to kill this from the terminal. So, Control-Alt-T on my machine, on my Mint 18.3 machine, and then uh, PS, uh, space, uh, hyphen, you know, it's a dash, E, space, pipe, that's uh, shift, uh, backslash, um, pipe, space, you know, grep, uh, capital B, L, O, uh, asterisks, you know, for the for the wild card, for the regular expression, for this previous pattern and all, you know, blah, blah, everything else after it. And it'll come up with two processes that are running. Then you type in uh, kill, 
uh, space uh, hyphen nine space, and then you put in the process identification number, the PIDs of those two processes. Put them all in on one line because you will be doing this again. And you'll want to rely on your command history to just be able to pop back up to PSE grep, you know, blood. So then you kill those two processes. In your Steam client, it should say that Bloodstain is no longer running. Then, the next part is the simplest part. Then you right-click on the, the game listing in your library, in your Steam client, and you select uninstall, and you uninstall the game. Then you reinstall the game as soon as it's done uninstalling, which should be pretty instant. The game is about uh, 7.5 gigabytes big, so you'll have to download the game again and wait for it to download and install. On my machine, that's negligible, but depending on where you live and what your cable connection is like, that could be a massive problem. Then, after that is done, which normally takes somewhere between 7 and fucking 12 minutes for me, uh, what I do now is I shut down every... I reboot. I just reboot, because it's just easier, and it just... Duh. Because if it doesn't work again... You have to un- you have to kill the process again manually, and then you have to uninstall it again manually. So I just restart the whole fucking system. Then, for a while there, I was getting away with just restarting uh, Steam and stuff, but blah. Then, after you're back up in your system and everything, you're back inside your your system. Then you open up your Steam client and you go to play the game and then you wait for it to pull down all of the wine compatibility layer, DirectX bullshit or whatever the fuck it needs, which takes another, you know, two to five minutes. Then the game will launch. After it launches, this is it for you. First thing, you go to options, change the, the window type to borderless window. Then you load your last game and hopefully it is still there. Then you play the game for hopefully as long as possible before it... I've only experienced one crash and one uh, problem that was due to like bad... um, I accidentally hit the wrong sequence of keys in the keyboard and it turned the game invisible which... I mean invisible. It wasn't minimized. It was invisible. But it was an active win... Anyway, I have video of it doesn't matter. Video of it's not going to help because it turned the game invisible. So you have to make sure to change the borderless window. Then you can play the game again. That prevents the crash that I think may have originally started to fuck me, but who knows. Um, Hopefully you will not have these kinds of problems. I didn't for the first like three days that I had the game, but then I fucked something up. I wasn't trying to configure anything either. I was just I just fucked something up. Now! In our last five minutes of the show, let's talk a little bit about Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. First impressions. One, this game is unbelievably, unthinkably gorgeous. You have to see it actually being played. Watch a video of it being played. Do not rely on the Steam Store screenshots of it. They do not translate to the visual unbelievable gorgeousness of this game. Second of all, if you like Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which is one of my all-time favorite games, it's probably in my top 20 ever made, um, then this game is something, if you're not playing this game right now, then I weep tears of blood for you. 
if you're a fan of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. The score for three, the score for this game is phenomenal. I spent 12, I spent like the first 10 hours playing the game on the live stream in two separate uh, sessions, just remarking endlessly, stoned out of my mind of course, about how fucking fantastic the music is. I found out subsequent to those live streams and several others uh, two days ago that, I think it was two days ago might have been three days ago, that actually the guy who did the score for Castlevania Symphony of the Night did the score for Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Bloodstain four. Bloodstain takes everything that you loved about Castlevania Symphony of the Night, makes it bigger, makes it meaner, uh, adds hundreds of craftable weapons, modifiable superpowers, uh, shards, collectibles, things that you can get from enemies upon killing them. If you kill enough of a certain type of enemy, you'll eventually get a shard from them. This in- this gives you the ability to equip that as a superpower that uh, takes on aspects of whatever the enemy that you killed was. So, like, for instance, one of the first uh, giant bosses you kill is a tentacle monster. Well, if you get the shard from that guy or that, that chick, then you get the ability to summon tentacle monsters out of the walls that are, like, enormous and incredibly damaging. You also have other types of magic, like you have the ability to do directional magic using the right stick as uh, your main character, Miriam, using that as her hand, and then the, uh, I think it's the right trigger button, to activate whatever the fuck it is, uh, shard power you have, you can shoot you can do all sorts of things, you can shoot fireballs you can throw bones, you can do amazing shit, and you can upgrade all of these things, you can also sell shards, there's a market economy in this game that is split across three different major disciplines, there's one chick who's librarian, who sells you items inventory and materials and then there's another guy who uh, will do crafting for you, shard upgrading and uh, dismantling and uh stuff, and he can combine the stuff that you buy from one with the other, then there's a farmer and you can grow stuff, he does it for you, then there are all of these NPCs who have individual quests for you, generally bounty quests kill a certain number of this type of monster, um, and I will reward you with something, and then, you know, you get a reward and there's another type of uh, uh, quest NPC that I found who wants to bury the village dead, and requires a keepsake uh, items that are associated with each individual uh, dead villager. You have to find them, you have to give them to her, and she gives you something in return. The map itself is much bigger than Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I am at 20%, and I think I'm already at, like, what would be 80% maybe of Castlevania Symphony of the Night, not, ex- not including the inverted castle. So, there's that. Then there is the visual style of the game. So this is like, what what are we up to? Seven, eight, something like that. Visual style of the game sings. The backgrounds are unfucking believable. You've never played a side-scrolling platformer uh, in the vein of Castlevania Symphony of the Night that is this gorgeous. Um, some of the enemies are less so, but all of them are well animated. All of them are memorable. All of them are challenging, and the the pro- the rate of progression seems just about perfect. I've not beaten the game. I'm only 17 hours in. Like I said, it should be 20, but three hours have been spent dealing with these problems. So, 
The game is also expensive. The game is, uh, right now, it's 10% off. It's, I think it's $35. Let's see. Blessing Ritual Night, 10% off through June 28th at $35.99. But one of my favorite things about the game, as you will see, if you look at the, the screenshot that's attached to this episode, it's a screenshot that I edited. I cropped it heavily so that it pops in SoundCloud. That is our character sitting in a cathedral with stained glass behind her, and she's using her spell arm, which rotates 360 degrees, so it's a directional spell thing, and when you don't actually make her fire a spell, glue blowing orb, glue, blue glowing orb, glue blowing orbs, orbs that blow glue, no, blue glowing orbs extend as if, you know, a magical force-based power from the palm of her outstretched hand, and I swear to God, I've never seen anything that looks so much like an Alphonse Mucha print as uh, that shot. The entire game looks that way. Um, everything is upgradable. Everything. There are tons of items, tons of enemies, humongous areas, amazing power-ups, fantastic boss fights, um, incredible geography. One of the, my favorite things is the faux 3D effect that they use to actually... So like. It's a side-scrolling platform. You can run left, you can run right, you can jump up, and you can drop down. One of the things they do is all the backgrounds are full 3D, and you are full 3D, but you are cartoonified. Like, if you've ever, if if you're familiar with Blender, and you've ever used the shader um, cartoon on, like, a character, it gives them almost like a Borderlands, like, they look like hand-drawn, but they're still in three dimensions, and so, like, other shaders can still act on, um, the actual surface geometry of the character, giving it, like, a cell-shaded kind of very nuanced, um, hyper-advanced, but somehow retro effect. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the video of, uh, I put together a hastily assembled highlight reel that includes a boss. It's 17 minutes long, but uh, the first five minutes are just like a bunch of really fast things that happen, and then the last um, chunk of it is how to customize your appearance with the demon barber, and then uh, the boss fight in the cathedral with the um, animatronic, with the uh, self-animated stained glass, two-dimensional, three-dimensional spider guy. Um, the visual style is amazing. You have to see your character animate. Lots of things, lots of screenshots that you will see of this game look like it relies on cards. Those are not cards. Those screenshots are merely a still of something that actually happened in full animation. The voice acting is really good. Actually, as David Hayter from uh, um, Metal Gear, uh, Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid fame. Um, I don't know which character he is. The story is meh, you know, whatever. It's adequate enough. The voice acting is way above average. The script is okay. None of the voice acting segments go on for too long. None of the story segments go on for too long. You will find yourself obsessing over your equipment changes, up the upgrades of your equipment, the outfitting of yourself of potions, selling your shards, and getting resources... Um, and exploring and exploring and exploring and exploring and yes, spoiler alert you do get a double jump, obviously eventually um, and other forms of movement based stuff that let you traverse, you know, the the castle in 
new or interesting ways. So back to that three-dimensional thing. The backgrounds are three-dimensional, so that means that even though you might be running from left to right side of the screen, the background can rotate around you. It doesn't matter because it's you're still going to end up what to you know where. So if you take like a, a like a tower, like a castle tower, a huge castle tower, like you know, fifty times the size of a human being in terms of width, circular in nature. So, blah, twenty five people per diameter, right? Right? Diameter. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. And let's say that as you run from right to left, the background starts to rotate because you're going around the circle and then you come out on the other side. It doesn't make much sense in terms of the way I'm describing it, but it is magnificent and it is a really cool effect. There are some aspects of the game that lack some polish, but they are, when I say lack some polish, I mean like we're talking minor quibbles in in what is otherwise a major triumph. I mean a major triumph. I have waited so long for someone to make this game. And finally, the Castlevania Symphony of the Night quotations that are contained within the game outside of the musical ones are wonderful, heartwarming, hilarious, and the whole game is a fucking love letter to Castlevania Symphony of the Night with a female anime-style protagonist. Um, and I won't ruin any of like the massive surprises that I've discovered, uh, but wait till you meet the librarian. Anyway, that'll do us for this show. Check out, check us out next week. Well, when we will hopefully be back with another installment of the Best Life Games podcast, uh, featuring an interview with uh, Jeffrey Nielsen from uh, Chimeric, uh, developer of Nova or uh, Nova Drift, one of my favorite games that I've been playing constantly whenever I can't get Bloodstained to work. Uh, that'll do us. Later days. Four or five times. A good idea. Four or five times. Hi there. There is delight in doing things right. Four or five times. It is I, E.B. Farnham. Maybe I'll cry. I'll get you a drink. And if I die, I'm gonna try four or five times. Do you like to play? We like to play. I like you. We like to sing. It only runs on Linux. We like to go. Yaddy, yaddy, oh. Four or five times. We're going to have such fun. Bebop 1. You're becoming hysterical. Bebop 2. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Bebop 3. Yada, yada, yada. Four or five times. Matt Damon. Burn everything incriminating, including this building. Burn all the White House pets, and then yourselves. Burn yourselves first. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. It's fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farnham. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. 
to subscribe to the podcast using a Linux-based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. For great justice.